Welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio, the podcast where marketing leaders inside and outside the sciences share their creative ideas and practical approaches to increasing your marketing ROI. Here's your host, Chris Connor. All right. My guest today is Derek Hamry. He is a technical sales specialist at LaunchWorks CDMO. Derek, welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio. Hi, Chris. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I'm excited to talk with you. Yeah, this is going to be a good one. So uh, for people listening, if you don't think your elevator pitch is important, I met Derek at ADLM, the trade show formerly known as AACC, and was so impressed with his elevator pitch, I got curious to learn about his company and realized that some other people might find this useful as well. So I've talked to uh, CDMOs before in pharma, but not so much on the med device or the kit side. Describe, Derek, what LaunchWorks or where LaunchWorks came from and what you all do. Yeah, uh, yeah it was great talking with you, Chris, um, at ADLM, AACC. We talked to a lot of people, and I think that's a common uh, misunderstanding or misconception even of what LaunchWorks is as a CDMO, because we are very different, as you implied, than a pharma or therapeutic CDMO. For us, we're a molecular diagnostics IVD um, business. We started in 2009, so we're still, you know, an ISO 1345, CGMP compliant, FDA registered manufacturing facility, but opposed to focusing on the pharma, we do a lot of kitting for molecular diagnostics that might go into a CLIA lab, for example, or even a lot of companies that have RUO kits that get used by some of the more complex CDMOs that you're referring to. Okay. And um, describe, you know, the use cases or the use of a CDMO in terms of development and manufacturing. What kinds of things are we talking about that people come to you for? Yes. So um, backing up a little bit. So we started in 2009, um, very quickly afterwards, got our ISO certificate, um, ISO 1345, that is. And we noticed in the market, you know, a lot of NGS, uh, single cell space companies, molecular diagnostic IVD companies coming to us that had a lot of uh, needs, more than just a simple formulate, fill and finish, as we call it, which would be taking a reagent buffer and putting it into a tube of some variety, putting it into a kit and then sending it to the customer. Think of a kit that would be used by a CLIA lab or during COVID. We did a lot of COVID work. Um, so the point of care diagnostics. So that's like, you know, our core business and where we started. But we saw even, you know, in the past five or so years, a pretty drastic shift in the marketplace. A lot of companies coming to us. Um, and one of the reasons that we are pretty present at ADLM AECC is the RUO kits, those that are taking an idea from the R&D space and bringing it to um, the market. And that commercialization process is a big, you know, lift for a lot of companies, even if they're bigger, um, but especially for smaller companies when they have five, 10 workers that have never gone through the commercialization process. So we saw that need in the marketplace and we created what we call our design development services or R&D team that can help on that commercialization side. So we have two different pathways that us as LaunchWorks can help our customers. We have the full-scale manufacturing, kind of a turnkey solution. You can think of it in how I probably described to you at ADLM. Um, People come to us with a lockdown, bill of materials, work instructions, and we can build that to completion tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of units at a time. Or if someone needs a little bit more assistance on the commercialization strategy, the supply chain management, the 
just the use case for workflows and processes that maybe are very different, um, obviously, from the R&D space through to the uh, clinical lab um, and help them work through that. So there's many different ways on the um, manufacturing commercialization process that we can help our customers all the way from early stage supply chain management all the way through um, to fulfillment. Yeah, talk a little bit more about the RUO kit. So research use only. So what, um, give me some examples of that. So you're making kits at scale for someone who's going to use them just for research. I mean, does that mean like NGS kits that are going to academic use universities or? Yep. Yeah, that's exactly right. So yeah, we do a lot of research use only RUO kits for customers. Um, a lot of our customers will have a pretty big presence in academic labs or maybe they're working with therapeutic companies on a more complex um, process. That's over my understanding of the science, but um, there's a lot of uh, other uh, markets. But yes, I would say academia is a big presence for the RUO kits as well as maybe some more complex um, therapeutics or even other CDMOs. Yeah, I guess I was thinking about, um, and that answers it perfectly, you know, why it's labeled R RUO. And I was thinking about relative to CLIA labs or whatever, but I also understand like there are kits that people might say, I'm going to use this NGS kit as a diagnostic, but that's another level of qualification and you're just making it clear to them or your customers are making it clear to their customers, like do not <laughs> use it for this, but correct. Mm -hmm. here's the thing. Okay. Mm -hmm. And a lot yeah. of our customers, so we won't make those claims. Obviously, our customers will go through the FDA filings or whatever. Um, but some of our customers will just not want to go through the FDA um, process. So they'll make their kit RUO. And then maybe one of their customers will buy the kit and then go through the FDA or 510K PMA process. Um, but our customers just don't want to go through that on themselves. Right. So talk about that a little bit. We might be jumping ahead a little bit, but... Your customers make an RUO product, their customers buy it, but they might take it through a process that gets it to, you know, a higher level of qualification. Yeah. How, I mean, and there's no backtracking necessary there because you and I talked about this a little bit before about, mm -hmm. so it, you're making it to a certain level, but it's possible then that it can be taken to another level of, yeah. FDA approval. Yeah. So, I mean, especially I think um, COVID, I mean, since I'm fairly new to the industry as a whole, um, I mean, there's been a lot of uh, stuff that I've learned, obviously. And I think the industry as a whole has also learned a lot during COVID, especially regarding the RUOs, 510K submissions, PMAs, um, EUAs, even in general emergency use authorizations for COVID type kits. Um, and I think I, don't want to speak on behalf of our customers, but I think my customers would agree that some of the FDA um, processes and submissions might be a big lift for them, especially if they're a small, you know, academia lab that's moving to producing an RUO kit and they just don't have the maybe the manpower or the um, funds at the time to go through that, um, even though it's not a ton of money, but it is a significant amount of money maybe for their labs. Um, so allowing another customer or their companies that they're working with to go through that process on their behalf um, might be the pathway for them. And that's one of the, the big value adds from LaunchWorks side. We help 
with our customers, talk through these processes, try to understand who their end customers are, because at the end of the day, it's very important for us to know as an organization who they are so we can help better serve our customers. Because obviously, if our customers are selling into academia, it's very different than if they're just selling a kit um, to a distributor and the distributor is taking the entirety of the um, pathway to, to get to market. It's, it's very different strategies and as much information as we can have is the best we can serve our customers and kind of best um, dial down what those recommendations would be. And I think the other thing just to, to kind of highlight um, when I'm talking about our customers selling their kits to then go on to do an FD or 510k PMA, whatever. Um, maybe there's some enzymes or some oligos, some primers some probes, uh, maybe some additional um, reagents, buffers that are needed to create that full workflow for, a, say, a clinical lab for a diagnostic purpose. Um, and, you know, there's some major players in the industry that have um, that manufacturing kind of nailed down. And that's one way we as a CDMO can help our customers and kind of help them nail down their supply chain, both for short term um, and long term. Because producing, you know, 100 units, maybe that's one milligram of material for their R&D lab is very different than when they're needing liters or kilograms of this material um, when they're on the commercial manufacturing side. So keeping all of those piece of information in our, in our mind, we can present the, the best option because like I said, the R&D space and the commercial manufacturing side, when you get a deal signed with a distributor, it's very different timing and um, cost that they have to consider. Right. <clears throat> uh, let's jump ahead a little bit since we're throwing all these terms around. So I learned um, <clears throat> when I worked for Thermo, you know, we got 13485 certified <clears throat> um, and we had a class one, or, or one of our mass specs, I think it was a class one medical device. Describe, and I just learned as I was researching this um, for this episode that a toothbrush is a medical device, <laughs> um, which obviously has some <clears throat> qualifications around it. Explain the differences between class one, two, and three, and then decisions about an RUO, what is a 510K and what is a PMA? Yeah, that's a great question. I'm by no means a quality expert, but I and definitely... And you can use your notes. I mean, because that's okay. a big question. <laughs> yeah, I definitely tap into my knowledge base from my uh, internal uh, knowledge experts at LaunchWorks, subject matter experts. Um, so I, prior to, to LaunchWorks, I was in you know bench science role. So I, I did work with the quality regulatory teams on the you know class one, two, three um, medical devices. So I'm familiar from that side. So class one, uh, you can think of as pretty low risk, maybe some general controls in place for um, reporting purposes. If you know there is some kind of uh, mishap when the product's being used, say a toothbrush most likely could fall into that category. Um, there's some tracking, you know, who was it made by, when was it made, what were the materials that went into it. So pretty on the lower level, you know, obviously moving forward, general or class two, there's still those general controls in place and also some special controls um, online. Some of those special controls are defined as post-market surveillance, performance standards, guidelines. Um, but and I think there can be even more that are added on top of that, but there's just an added level. So medium to high risk, but more on the medium risk category. Um, and then when you get to class three, you're definitely moving into the high risk where the decisions that these tests or whatever products are being used 
are will have some direct impact on you know illness or injury or life-saving matters to the patients. Um, so those are obviously going to have even more level of redundancies in place just to confirm that whatever's happening from the very beginning from the supply chain from our side is being selected properly all the way through the manufacturing shipping too because shipping is obviously another very critical component um, the storage of the materials so class three very high risk um, this would be a pre-market approval most likely where this would run down um, because it is something that's new to the market i'm really sure how um, it's going to be marketed because it's the first of its kind that's going to market um, class two most likely would go under a 510k so it'd be already um, some level of understanding from the fda and from the general public and general public i mean people that are in the industry kind of understand how this technology is working whether it's um, some kind of buffer reagent you know diagnostic kit or if it is something that is very you know more mundane maybe think like a, a toothbrush to your example um so something that there's already marketing being done in that general space but not as new it's or it's not new rather it's already been uh, there's already a product kit device got it so um let's talk about challenges small startups face as they look at their product roadmaps well how how does a cdmo help with that kind of planning yeah, so uh, I've kind of alluded to this a few times, um, ways that LaunchWorks has helped in the past. And I think, you know, some of the four things that come to mind, mind right away and you know, talking to people at ADLM, for example, or on a, a prospect call or risk mitigation, how do we minimize, mitigate as much risk as possible? Um, second, kind of that commercialization strategy, where they're targeting, who they're targeting, what are the quantities of kits, components that they're looking to produce and kind of the timing on that. Um, the manufacturing process is the third one. Um, and maybe this is probably one that I should move up to, no, to number one, because um, as I talked about, the R&D manufacturing is very different than the commercial manufacturing. Obviously, if you're producing one to 10 mils of a buffer in a lab, it's very different than if you're producing, you know, hundreds or thousands of liters at a time like we are at LaunchWorks. And there's a lot of additional, um, very intricate steps that sometimes um, aren't described in the work instructions when they're making it in the lab. And it's kind of a little bit of, you know, magic on how does it actually, you know, work. Yeah, and then oh, everybody knows how that works, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's only Greg that knows how to make this work. And it's only Greg that's been making it for the past 10 to 15 years. Um, yeah. So you're going to have to ask Greg. So trying to figure out some of that voodoo magic or whatever they want to call it in their lab, try to get that on a repeatable basis. Because when you're working with an ISO 13485 um, establishment and facility, there's that level of reproducibility that you expect and that we have the requirement to fulfill. That reproducibility from one lot to the next lot, every single time you're going to get the same exact product. So when you have that class one, class two, class three, 510K, PMA, whatever that is that you're going to the FDA, there's always that level of redundancy, that level of documentation that's already in place, that level of QC, QA, all of it from the start to beginning. So that's the third one, probably more likely the first thing to think about. And then the last one that I always think about is supply chain. Because um, COVID, for example, um, I'm not sure how familiar you are with the plastics shortage that was happening during COVID, but there was a pretty large plastic shortage for like the Nalgene bottles, for example, 
Um, and I think once again, that's something that's been highlighted even more. Um, and you know, supply chain gets thrown out all the time because of COVID, but that's definitely something that we try to once again, mitigate risk for our customers and try to figure out a strategy, um, to find either alternative components that can be used. Um, so that way they don't have to go back and say two to three years. Um, they want to stay RUO for those two to three years, and that's fine if they change those components, but say three years down the line, they want to become an FDA clear diagnostic 510K, PMA, et cetera. They'd have to redo all of those validation verification studies if they have shelf life already um, determined with paperwork, et cetera. They'd have to redo it if they decide to change manufacturers because it turns out one of the manufacturers for one of their critical components was going to shut down in three years, but they never looked into that. You know, having all those things already checked and confirmed um, and find a stable, um, you know, supplier for those from the very beginning is obviously obvious, but it's also something that sometimes isn't thought of. Um, so getting that laid out for our customers is very important. So those are yeah, kind of- I think that sort of answered my next question about decisions around thing, you know, how you're going to treat this product and trade-offs in terms of investing more upfront or having to backtrack, right? If something changes like that, because maybe people aren't thinking like, oh, if I get a new manufacturer for some part of some component of this whole thing, the paperwork starts all over again. Is that, am I understanding it right? Yeah, for most of our customers, once again, there's probably a lot of quality intricacies here that um, you know, a quality expert could chime in and they could give their own two cents that would be more valid than mine, obviously. But yes, uh, in layman's terms, if there would be any raw material change, um, if there's, you know, going through to an FDA clear diagnostic, they would have to redo those validation verification studies um, because they are different materials, different providers. Maybe one of the manufacturers is an ISO 1345 and they have no idea where the, the plastic came from that they're buying. It has a lot of faults in it and it's got issues and they don't, don't have that clarified. So yes, I think that's a valid statement. Yeah, it's an interesting peek into, you know, we think of quality as sort of, at, you know, the naive level that I have, like, does it work? But <laughs> quality goes beyond all that to be able to track where did it come from, you know, who supplied it, what's in it, all those things, right? Yeah. Um, and that's definitely something at LaunchWorks that we, you know, pride ourselves on is our quality management system. We have all those um, you know, checks in place. We have a very robust quality assurance and quality control, quality checking team, QC team, um, that are always, you know, verifying that the part numbers, lot numbers for all the batch records are correct, um, et cetera, which is also part of the ISO 1345 standards that you expect when working with a CDMO, CMO contract manufacturer. Yeah. All right, last question. How, how does a CDMO help startups decide on a growth strategy or guide them based on whatever strategy they've picked? Yeah, that's a, a great question. Uh, kind of, you know, the selling point for a contract manufacturers um, in general. Um, at LaunchWorks, we have the expertise in-house. We understand the chemistry. We understand the customers and our customers' customers, and we understand the supply chain. So we bring that level of knowledge and you know subject matter experts to the table to them immediately they tap into our knowledge base and 
they can find out what's worked and what hasn't worked. I mean, we've been in the business since 2009, so you know, 14 years now, um, producing kits at small, medium, and large scale for our customers. And we obviously know the customers that are you know still doing very well and how how they got there and how we can uh, suggest or help our customers pivot if necessary. Whether it's something as simple as a a label, maybe there's a, a label that needs to be changed, or if it's something more critical, like those critical components that we've mentioned earlier. So we bring subject matter experts to the table immediately, people that they might not have um, in their own knowledge base, um, so we can help with that. Obviously, at the end of the day, all of our customers own their own bill of materials, their own work instruction. It's At the end of the day, it's their product. We're just producing it for them. But obviously, we want to have the best product, the best high-quality product, reproducible basis every single time to our customers. Um, and that helps them gear up to the commercial manufacturing. So when they get and they sign those contracts with those bigger academia institutes that we've talked about or they've signed on with a distributor, those organizations have the understanding, okay, yes, our customer or the person we're buying from has a reproducible product that we can always trust and it's always going to have that high level and high quality that they expect for the products that they're selling or offering. And they can maintain it at scale. And they may contain it at scale, exactly. (laughs) So this is just a curious thing about, um, or what I'm curious about, LaunchWorks or any other CDMO, like, if you say you're kidding, are you putting together all those components or sometimes you're outsourcing bits that you've all searched and then bringing them and assembling kits? I'm just curious what the logistics looks like for how you get things in and out the door? Or do you have a big manufacturing facility? Yeah, yeah, this is great. So, I mean, this is maybe where I should have started. So yeah, we have about a 30 to 40,000 square foot facility in Beverly, Massachusetts. Um, part of that is ISO 5 clean rooms, or ISO 7 clean rooms, ISO 5 workstations. Um, so we produce the majority of the wet components in that space. So think the reagents, the buffers, etc., and all the, tubing, capping, etc. So customer comes to us and says they want 1.5 mils of a reagent or buffer into a tube, put it in there, label it, etc. And then we also um, say that same customer wants that particular component to go into a bag um, with another label on it. We also will do all of the physical putting the tubes into the bags, labeling, and then all of the final external shipments that's needed. So we insource essentially everything at LaunchWorks. We don't do any outsourcing. We have a very stable source of employees um, at our facility that we can tap into. Um, we have a pretty big financial backing from our family and organization that we're working or that we're under as Integrion Global. So we have access to um, the resources that we need so we don't have to outsource. Um, I can't speak on behalf of other people in the space um, but for LaunchWorks, that's one of the big selling points. We have um, the knowledge base and the hands on deck at all times to do all of the, the physical kidding that you're talking about. Sometimes it's a mundane task and something that's not thought of um, by our customers as, you know, maybe a, a bottleneck. But, um, yes, we, we do that as a service. Yeah, it's helpful for me. I'm just trying to get a visual on, you know, where things come from and what it looks like. So if you're selling a buffer, you insource I presume dry chemicals and those get mixed into liquid 
the whole thing filled yep. into tubes. And then because you must have multiple customers, then you schedule runs. All right, we're making this batch, you know, this month or this week, whatever we're doing. And then there's something else. And then a couple months later, we're doing that whole thing again. It's kind mm -hmm. of a... Yep. Yep. That's completely accurate. Yeah. We have an ongoing production schedule that has, you know, different room for our customers for the builds that they require. We get a lot of raw materials, obviously, um, to go back to what I said earlier, the build materials are all owned in the property of our customers. So they might have a very specific request for the raw material chemicals being used. So yeah, uh, they're different from customer to customer, but that yes, we, buy those chemicals based on our customers' requests, um, do the mixing at you know, large scale and then the filling, et cetera. And then, you know, say two months later, they need another run. We pencil that I'm in for another production run and do the same thing over again. Got it. I'm gonna start a new channel called How It's Made Life Science Edition. Oh, yeah, that'd I'm, be great. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not totally serious yet, but okay. I'm just like, I'm just fascinated about how things are made. Uh -huh. um, now, honestly, in life science, I'll give away the whole my whole dark side here. I'm more curious about how the tools and all those other things made and how they work than I am in a new gene discovery, for example. Like, even mm -hmm. though I'm a geneticist, I just I was just fascinated <laughs> by the stuff that I'm not as familiar with. Yep. Um, Derek Henry, this has been great. Really fun to talk to you. Thank you so much for your time. Yes, thanks, Chris. It's been great talking to you again. And when you want LaunchVerse to talk on your next podcast, just let me know. <laughs> when we do the video of the uh, mixing and filling and kidding and shipping. Uh -huh. Yes, exactly. That's our expertise. <laughs> your buffer, how it's made. <laughs> exactly. Hey, if you're still listening, that tells me you enjoyed the podcast. But don't tell me. Tell your friends. And I'll be back soon with another episode. Okay, you can tell me too. Send an email, chris at lifesciencemarketingradio.com. Bye-bye.